Hi, welcome to my channel. My name is Lisa Alistway, and I create a variety of inspirational and informational videos you can use and apply to your life. It is my honor to introduce today's guest, Foreshta Ramsey, who is a transformational coach. She has nearly 20 years of experience in coaching and is a leading expert on Jungian shadow work and its power to affect lives. Foreshta is also an Afghan refugee and will be sharing her experience coming to the United States. I will be linking her website below for your reference. Welcome, Foreshta. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for that sweet introduction, Lisa. For sure, for sure. So let's get right into it. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you came from Afghan to the United States? Yeah, absolutely. I was born during the Soviet invasion. So that's like 78 to 87. And um, I was, you know, in this big, huge, beautiful family and tanks are rolling in, right? Soldiers are coming through, uh, curfews are being put on the Afghan people and slowly but surely doors are being knocked on and, and people are being put on lists and, and things. This is what was happening for my parents. And they, in their infinite wisdom, realized like, we gotta get out of here. So they chose, my father chose to remove his, like what would be your 401k, like equivalent to like 80, $90,000 to be able to get us smuggled out through a smuggling route. You know, you're handing money to a stranger without any guarantees, but the mm. chance is you get to Pakistan, then you work on your visa, then you get to any country that's not gonna be so unsafe. So that's the route we took. It was, I think, somewhere around eight days and eight nights through roads and mountains and, you know, on buses and by foot. And um, I was really little. I was two. So I, I pretty much feel it in my body sometimes in terms of some of the uh, fears or traumas. But mm -hmm. they certainly were the ones who took care of us getting to Pakistan and then 14 months later getting political asylum in the U.S., Oh, wow. And where in the U.S. did y'all settle at first? Uh, we landed at JFK. So that was in New York. But our sponsorship was through a Baptist church in Virginia. In case okay. You a little bit of my accent. I got I was raised in Virginia. And um, yeah, we were helped by a church, you know, found our first apartment. They got me a little bed, like all those things. And then it was sort of a now how do we start over again? Right. And so it was you uh, and your parents. Do you have siblings? Uh, nope, just us three. Okay. Wow. That is an amazing story. And so that was 78. Is that what you said? Uh, 79 was 79. when I was born. And then we left around 82. Yeah. So do you still have family in, Af in Afghan? Um, in Afghanistan, my in Afghanistan. father has some family, like elders, aunts, uncles, older cousins. Most of my family through, gosh, the 80s and 90s was able to be sponsored by us and come here. Um, but until that happened, you know, we always had an ear to the ground, right? Like we might not have been in the war zone, but every day was like, is everyone safe? There was a bombing or, you know, waiting for a letter to come through to say like, who's still here? What happened? You know, at that point, it took about a month for a letter. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Or before the, the internet. Or mm -hmm. the call in the middle of the night that was hey, this happened, everyone's okay, or hey, this happened, everyone's not okay. So in those decades of helping get family over, there was still this sense of anxiety. And, you know, I think of it as chronic trauma. It's not acute in the way that some people have like one thing happen. It's sort of this mm -hmm. low grade fever of, yeah. you know. And also, um, would you call it generational trauma? That can be sure. kind yeah, of passed down. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, it was multiple generations enduring that. So whether it was me as a baby, my parents, you know, in their 20s, my grandparents in their 50s and 60s, like there was the whole family being everyone lived in Kabul. Mm -hmm. So that was the capital of Afghanistan. And um, yeah, it it splits families, right? This is sort of what we're looking at right now. Of, yes. Yes. I don't know who you're going to see ever or when and if they're going to be okay. And it, it's, it's harrowing. It's really mm -hmm. harrowing. Mm -hmm. yeah. So we, I know we're definitely living through strange times and 
just turn on the news this last week. I'm sure it's had a big impact on you and your family and your friends. Um, do you have any thoughts you'd like to share on that? Hmm. Well, first, just acknowledging that there are so many people struggling right now in that particular situation. And I know for me, I experienced a whole lot of grief, panic, overwhelm, fragility, right? Like, what do I do? What can I do from so far? It seems so intense and it seems so far. I think for a lot of the Afghan diaspora that's here or in Canada or in Europe, it's a little mm -hmm. re-traumatizing because it's, it's familiar enough to activate old trauma. Mm. And then it's the news itself is traumatizing with what we're getting to see in real time. Um, and then for the people there, you know, there's, there's limited abilities to limited resources. Yes. So it's tough. And I, um, you know, people have asked, like, do I think that the U.S. did the right thing? I think bringing our soldiers home from a 20-year war, absolutely a wish of mine that they'd be home and with their families and take time to, you know, recover, settle. And I think it could have been better. better I, think, I think a lot of people share your sentiment on that, that they're, they're tired of the forever wars. And, um, but yeah, how it was handled and continues to be handled is very questionable, even though it's complex and it's challenging. I'm not a military person, just uh, a civilian with an opinion like you, but, and probably more personal. Cause like you said, this is your homeland and you are more tidally close to it. Yeah. And it's tough, right? Because the, the U S has really been involved since I was born, right? If it was the cold war with the Soviets, they armed our men in Afghanistan yeah. to fight the Soviets. Well, that worked in some ways, but it created this whole other vacuum that created the Taliban. And then, you know, in the States, 9-11 happened, which was incredibly tragic. And three weeks later, they said, okay, we're going in and we're gonna bomb this country again, right? And it was like, oh, it's kind of like having two homelands in despair at the same time. And what I think the US could have done is sanctioned Saudi Arabia. I mean, there were no Afghan terrorists on those planes. It was a different country's issue. And, you know, instead we continue to sell arms to Saudi Arabia by, by the billions. Mm -hmm. So it's confusing to me still, like what are we, what were we really there for? And I know so many incredible people in the military. I don't want to dismiss their efforts at reconstruction sure. at helping the Afghan people that was happening mm -hmm. I just the bigger powers that be you know have want want war and that's a tough one to swallow mm -hmm. so what are your uh thoughts I know that a lot of people have concerns for like the women there under the Taliban and the terrorist groups and now going back to maybe some of the old ways where the women were repressed suppressed um, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's tough because the Afghanistan my parents grew up in, you know, they went to university. My mom wore mini skirts. She got on the back of my dad's motorcycle. He had his belt bottoms. They went and made music with the hippies that would have been coming from like London at the time, right in the sixties and seventies. So their world wasn't repressed. Like mm -hmm. their world was very much modern progressive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Women had the right to vote at about the same time women in the U.S. got the right to vote. Mm -hmm. Equality was put in the Constitution. Women could go to school and work. Like they were going towards a very healthy society. Mm -hmm. And I think when you take 40 years of war, just economically, mentally, you know, the trauma of that, um, the fact that like a quarter of the country is orphaned, the quarter of the country is widowed, right? Like that's a really big shift in how a population is, is living. And um, I do believe the Taliban are, they're just as brutal as they were 20 years ago. Um, the one thing they've gotten really good at is appearing more moderate on their conference you know, mm -hmm. calls and, and on their media, their social media, they're, mm -hmm. they're spouting moderate rhetoric, mm -hmm. but they're doing exactly what they did 
20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, as activists, I know who have people on the ground there. You know, they are going door to door. They are seeking out journalists, athletes, artists, musicians, scientists, um, interpreters, interpreters. interpreters. Mm -hmm. And the women, of course, you know, have a, I don't know, tougher situation. It's not even a big enough word because the, the interpretation of the law that the Taliban is holding really makes a woman property to a man again. Mm -hmm. It's really antiquated and, and not the way these women have been living. But, you know, if you think of the young women the last 20 years, they've been living freely. So this is incredibly shocking for them. It would be yeah. like us I would go to work and stuff. I'm very concerned for um, the fact if they take, you know, the educational component away from these women, because that is so important for women to have the education, um, especially for the next generation of sons. And if you take that away, then you're going to see a continuation of this broken system of the Taliban. Exactly. And it's, it's tough because I don't actually think that those men are literate. So there's also this other perpetuation of, I don't know how many of them are actually able to interpret the Quran and what they believe it says. I, I believe most of them are not able to read and did not mm -hmm. get, like the boys were left behind, let's put it that way, mm -hmm. in terms of education. And this is what happened. And now they're pulling their influence on the rest of the society. Um, I think what's the worst thing I'm hearing is that, those girls are not able to continue schooling and that they are being married off to Taliban militants, mm -hmm. which as we know without birth control and all of that means a life of servitude. Slavery, yeah. Slavery, servitude, um, mm -hmm. raising babies and not necessarily getting your hopes and dreams up and online. Yeah. I wanna hold to the men are in some equal danger because the Taliban is going through conscription, which is like, door-to-door -door checking if there's a man of the house. And if there's more than one man, like let's say there's a father and a son, they are drafting the son into to become a militant. So there's, it's not good for either yeah. of, the, of the society that wants to be moving forward. Yeah, it, it's, it's a difficult situation. Like I said, it's very complex. I'm no expert in this, but I think it's important that, you know, especially right now that we talk to Afghan refugees like you that have a personal uh, touchstone to this. And also I do feel for the veterans that are, you know, were there part of this war for those last 20 years. I think they're also experiencing some of the PTSD that the Afghan refugees are experiencing. Yeah. And that's a fair point. Having spoken to a friend in the Marines, yeah. it's just like the the leaving no one behind, the the really protecting and helping. Yep. The heartache is also there on the side of the military, or at least the disappointment that this is how it's gone down. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Where do you see it going from here? Hmm. Well, I'm already seeing a resistance happening in the country. There's been in the last week protests in many of the provinces. Uh, which is pretty dangerous to be honestly doing. And, and hundreds and thousands of people are stepping up to protest the Taliban. Um, soldiers that have been in hiding during this you know, sequence of events are gathering in what is considered an anti-Taliban stronghold in Pine Share province. So 20 years ago, there was a Northern Alliance fighting a civil war with the Taliban. So you essentially had pro-people, pro-government, fighting, you know, fundamentalist extremists. And that particular alliance, that particular flag is rising back up. So I think we're almost, we're not exactly where we left off then, but there's almost like the need for that to happen, that the Afghan people stand up yeah. and um, really, you know, stand for a healthier, more sane government and a, in a better way of life than what these particular extremists are offering. Yeah, just maybe I'm curious, what do you think about the Afghan president and the way that he exited? What is the thoughts on that? 
I'm not surprised. I mean, he left with $169 million in cash. Um, yeah, I think, I don't want to say good riddance, that feels really rude, but like, <laughs> not of service to the people, not a compassionate leader, not walking around with all that money trying to help people get out of the country, just mm -hmm. failed. I don't know that he would have been a useful ally. So I'm okay with him not being part of the, the narrative. Okay. Very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. I I'm hoping that, um, you know, it gets better for the Afghan people that are over there and that the people that are currently in limbo, uh, trying to get out of the country that, um, you know, they're able to do that in the next few days safely. And, um, just keep following this story because it's so important. And I think a lot of times people just get on with their lives and they forget and, you know, it makes a headline. Yeah. But it's, you know. it's easy to do because, you know, the next news cycle has something else going on. And yep. I just want to hold, not only is this a, a section of humanity that's suffering, this is still also a global security risk, right? Having these people legitimized in, in power, able to have affluence and money. Uh, mm -hmm. It's it's sort of like, a it's literally a terrorist regime getting to govern is yeah. a risk for, is risk for the world. So it is yep. worth watching if for anything for that. Yes, yes. Oh, this is heavy stuff. So let's kind of just move a little bit into you being a transformational coach, which is, I think, so inspiring and such important work. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly is a transformational coach and exactly uh, why did you want to become one? Sure. I, you know, I always start with like sort of my origin story, which is having gone through a lot of my own trauma. By the time I was 23, I, I was just in despair. I was in this helpless, I call it like victim place, right? I was blaming the outside world. I wasn't making changes in my life. I really didn't want to exist on a certain level. And I met with a shadow coach named Debbie Ford. And she said to me, no one's coming to save you. So now what, right? Because on some level I was waiting to be rescued by something, by someone. Mm -hmm. And it caused me to have to take radical personal responsibility for the life I was creating, um, discipline for creating a new life, one that I actually would love. And the work there was constantly churning this like emotional debris that hadn't been processed, the places we have limiting beliefs because of our history, the places we kind of put a ceiling over ourselves and repress ourselves, right? In living the life that we want. Um, and as I did that work and moved from a place of victim to a place of authorship and began building a life I really loved, it felt, completely natural to go into that coaching model, um, mm -hmm. which is to hold someone as they move from victim to hero of their own life, mm -hmm. right? To move from limited freedom, limited expression to full freedom, full mm -hmm. expression, and a really vibrant life. So transformational yes. coaching, while it sounds bright, right, yeah. is, is digging in the dark, honestly, mm -hmm. it's where have you not healed? Where have you limited yourself? Where are you telling disempowered stories? Mm -hmm. And if those things can be addressed, our pain and our joy live in that same container. So to the extent that we can heal the pain, we also get access to our joy and our aliveness. And yes. Our yes. It reminds me of not just being in survival mode, but moving into a thriving mode, you know, and you have to ask yourself, if you are in a need of a transformation, sometimes that's the big predictor, right? Am I just going through life, just kind of surviving life, no, no joy in life, not happy with your life. Again, having that victim mentality and then moving into, no, I want to thrive. I want to radiate energy. I want to feel good. You know, those are the connections I think are amazing to make on this road to transformation. Yeah. And I, I also hold like, then we can serve. We can contribute. We can be a beneficial mm. presence in the lives of others. So it's not entirely selfish. Mm -hmm. right? We are always in relationship with everyone, our colleagues, our, our siblings, our families. 
the, the mailman, it doesn't matter. We're always in some kind of relationship. So if we can have a better relationship with ourselves, mm-hmm. it, it really is sort of this, you know, it's peace activism, but in a, in a more direct way. Yeah. It, it's not only a gift for yourself. It is a gift to those around you and for your others. And I like that you said it helps you conserve. And I think you know, if you're expending all of that energy on being depressed or anxious or upset or complaining, that's energy that could be spent on setting goals, looking forward to plans, um, helping other people, you know, so it is a energy shift, I think too, that can take place through your coaching. Yeah. And it's often, you know, what I realized is like first taking personal responsibility then choosing discipline, like, okay, I, I have this life, but I really want this one, which means I might have to straddle the fence on both for a while, mm-hmm. right? Still working that job while getting that new degree, right? The things people need to do to switch to another world. And then just really getting where we're strategic. You know, we all have strategies we learned as young people to survive. And sometimes those strategies don't really work. They're outdated when we're older. Mm-hmm. So moving out of strategies to our true self. Yeah, yes. it's a beautiful thing to watch. Like it's a beautiful honor to be a part of someone finding their truth, speaking their truth and building a life that really has them nourished. And as you said, thriving. So what are some examples of transformations that you've worked with people on? Sure. Yeah. Um, I would say, you know, I had a client who was, I think when she showed up really timid, not speaking her truth, kind of a little invisible, um, having been in a large family where it was just better to be invisible and quiet and go with the Mm -hmm. flow, but that wasn't her joy. That wasn't a happy place for her. And so we worked on her knowing what she needed asking for what she needed, setting healthy boundaries. Um, There's something in the epiphany of just doing those things. It takes courage to say to someone, hey, you know what? I don't want to gossip with you anymore. That doesn't feel good to me. Mm -hmm. And seeing right in your truth telling whether they stick around or not. Mm -hmm. There's risk in expressing yourself. There's the risk of losing that connection. Yep. But what I think is really noticeable, even with that client, was she was willing to risk losing people versus self-abandoning. Which sometimes you have to do. I mean, there's some, some self-preservation in this. And if you are always giving yourself up, the people-pleasing syndrome, that type of thing, it can right. be very detrimental to your well-being. Yeah. And I think, you know, for some people, it's really a career change. Like they they were told who they should be growing up. They checked off all the boxes, right? Mm-hmm. They did the degree, they did the house, they did the kids, they did the marriage, they did the things. And for some people, that's actually the adventure and it's true for right. them. Right, right. Then for some people, it's like, wait, I did all those things. I didn't think through those, whether right. I wanted those, I was told I wanted those things. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, well, who are you now? What do you want now? Mm-hmm. Um, I found it with me for as a career change. I worked climbing the corporate ladder, working in Hollywood, doing film and special effects, getting to a place where it's like, I could get promoted to the next level and the next level. And it was like, I don't think this is who I am. Mm -hmm. Now what, what do I, who am I if I don't do what everyone's told me to do? Yeah. We have a lot of what we call interjections, right? Society's values Mm -hmm. placed Mm -hmm. on us. And then we've got to figure out if they're actually our values. Yes. And you'll know inside because something doesn't quite feel right. It's whether do you want to address it or not? Do you want to keep on living that way? Or do you, are you had enough, you know, and you're right. going to make the change. And I think um, for a lot of people, that's, that's one of the biggest like wake up calls that people have like in midlife, like the midlife crisis, you see people like, oh my gosh, you know, I'm halfway through life and I hate my career or I'm not happy in this marriage or, you know, whatever it is that they're needing and are on a brink of transformation. Yeah. I like to call that like the midlife checkup because Mm -hmm. it's actually as much of it being really difficult and it's crunchy, you know, for people to be like, oh my gosh, this isn't my beautiful life. This isn't what I had wanted. There's also so much courage and trust in choosing to do that work. Um, 
I'm also holding this place where I'm just an ally, right? It's like, I don't have the answers for my clients. It's really more like, what do you think? What do you feel? Let's get you trusting your experience. Because when people mm-hmm. trust their experience, they have the answers. Mm-hmm. What do you mean? What do you mean by trust their experience? Like trust that inner voice, trust their feelings, trust that gut instinct you talked about, right? Mm. Trust that their bodies are depleted in this place, but are really nourished in this place. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, little kids, you know, within their bodies, within their feelings, they trust their experience. And when they're told, don't cry, don't do this, don't do that, they start to close that up. And Mm. the work is to open everyone back up to trust that you know yes because they don't necessarily need me for years they just need to trust themselves Mm. um that's huge there's a lot of people that are self-abandoning you know who they truly are and um i think that's key to like hone in on your instincts that you might be stifling down because they're telling you something you know and it makes sense right because through the lens of attachment theory which is a lot of what i teach and neuroscience you know our our first basic need is a sense of belonging, right? Our second one is expression. So if, if we were little and it was either I express myself and I lose connection or I don't express myself and I keep connection, we are like primally wired to keep connection, to survive. Mm-hmm. So it's, I'm not surprised that people are suppressing their truth and keeping connection, right? The hard work is, what happens when I speak my truth, who will stay and who will go. Right. And that's true life for me. Right. Right. Which can be very scary for some, you know, because the truth can be tough to face the truth and to be honest with yourself, much less to also be honest with other people. Yeah. And it's some of the like most rich, juicy work I've seen people do because to be in that strategic place, that self-abandoning place, ends up having the cost of depression, addictions, mm-hmm. isolation, um, you know, a half-lived life for a life. Yes, unfulfilled. Right. Half alive, nah, kind of there. And then when people kind of move into their true north, their core gifts, who they're meant to be in the world, who they're meant to serve, what lights them up, the things like no one has to tell them to do right? They're intrinsically mm-hmm. motivated to do those things. Mm-hmm. They are the complete opposite. They're fulfilled. They're vibrant. They're healthy. Mm-hmm. They're relational. So mm-hmm. it, it just makes good sense. You know, it's like, I, I would rather disappoint others than abandon myself and go through that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So let's talk a little bit about limiting beliefs. And so how that might affect your transformation. Well, I think we all have them. They're totally normal. What are they? First, let's define them. Yeah. So, hmm. So we go through experiences. We make meaning out of them. And then we create beliefs from those meanings, right? So if I give you an example, um, oh, my parents are always so busy you know, they never had time for me, right? Say that was the experience. And then the meaning I made is they don't love me. I don't matter. And then the belief I made is I'm unlovable. Mm-hmm. And then that subconscious belief is driving all my behavior. I don't reach out to people because I'm unlovable. I don't, you know, put myself out there because I think I'm unlovable. I don't get into a relationship because I think no one would love me. And that drives, you know, subconscious drives 95% of our behavior. So all of a sudden your daily behaviors aren't optimized to like the reality of your life. They're, they're old beliefs, old newspapers being read over and over again. So that's where limiting beliefs are. It's sort of, a, I think of them as the stories we've made up about ourselves mm-hmm. that we've really believed in. Mm-hmm. And, and stopping us from doing what we need to maybe thrive and move forward in life. It helps you stay stuck. Yeah. And it, it's an upper limit, right? There's an upper mm-hmm. limit problem, which is like, I don't deserve that, or that's not meant for me, or I can't do that, which we do in shadow work, you know, as we mm-hmm. look at people's heroes. Who do you look up to? Who do you, who are you just, 
do you think is like the most amazing person? And when you take those qualities of that person, like I would maybe say, um, Brendan Richard, you know, somebody I listen to is like, wow, he's vibrant, he's nourished, he's always taking care of his health, he's always serving, he's always all these things. But we look at that as a light shadow, like anything we can recognize in another is also in us. Mm -hmm. And then the work is to cultivate where am I vibrant? Where can Mm -hmm. I serve? Where can I nourish myself more? Mm -hmm. Um, It's just letting someone else be an inspiring beacon. Very cool. So let, let's touch on shadow work now. Um, that's comes from Carl Jung, very famous uh, psychotherapist, psychology uh, expert. So he's the one that coined that term shadow work. And can you just for the audience ex- kind of define it first in uh, what it means? And then we'll go into a little bit more deep about it. Sure. Yeah. So the shadow is any aspect of ourselves and many multiple aspects of ourselves that we've disowned. So, you know, they consider the shadow everything that we've been told not to be. Kind of your dark side. That's why it's a shadow. Don't be selfish. Don't be loud. Don't be this. Don't be that. Right. There's a lot of intel we get growing up that says don't be these things. Mm -hmm. So those move into the shadow, those aspects. Mm -hmm. I want to be seen as selfish. So I'll people please and say yes to everything. Right. Mm -hmm. It creates an imbalance. And then Mm -hmm. on the other end is the things we don't think we could be, the light shadows. Oh, that's just that person's amazing. I couldn't do that. Mm -hmm. But what tends to hinder people the most is the the disowned aspects of themselves that have caused them pain. So for example, a client who is highly sensitive as a man, really attuned, makes him relational, makes him really um, intuitive in a room, sensing the energy field. But as a young boy being told, don't be so sensitive, he put that away. Mm. It's like burying treasure. Mm. Interesting. I love the way you put that. Yeah. Sometimes people think shadow or, oh my God, I don't want to go there. I don't want to look at that. Right. But the way that you just said that you might find some buried treasure there, it might behoove you to go into those dark places. I just got chills because that's really what it is. It's like we bury our most precious treasures and then- you know, 40 years later go, man, I don't feel great. I don't feel like myself. And it's like, where did you bury that? Mm-hmm. Where is that thing? How could it serve you now to be sensitive? Mm-hmm. Right? Maybe it wasn't allowed or sh- often it's because it's been shamed and not celebrated. Yes. I imagine. And I imagine as a transformational coach, you deal with a lot of people who are angry once they step into shadow work and they realize that they were told a lie you know, they were told these limiting beliefs that they've believed for years and they have to not only process, you know, their dark shadow, but all the anger that comes around that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's a good question. I, I notice a lot more like a, a like a bittersweet grief, mm. right? Like I believed this all this time versus I'm angry. People told me this, there's sort of a internalized grief of, oh, I bought into it. So a little bit of mad, a little bit mad at yourself for not maybe having the wisdom right away that this is okay to like, look here, you know, so that I can see people dealing with it that way too. Yeah. And we work on like, this isn't about self-blame or self-judgment. This is about holding oneself with as much regard and affection and compassion as you couldn't have known this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes a five-year-old couldn't have known that it was burying his sensitivity yes, and that that wasn't a good thing. They just did whatever it took to protect it. Yes. So as, as a transformation coach, kind of a good metaphor I see is that you are the one shining the light onto the shadow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of, I imagine us like walking alongside, you know, a client on a path and just pointing things out. What's, what's that about? What's that about? What do you think about that? Why do you think you do that? What's, what's the payoff over there with that strategy? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's meant to dig up the dirt, but it's also meant to help heal what Mm -hmm. hasn't been integrated, right? Shadow Mm -hmm. work is integrating all of us back into our wholeness. Mm -hmm. Um, Carl Jung used to say, I'd rather be whole than just good. 
Mm, and there like is that. a place for our rage, right? There is a place for our sadness. There is a sure. place for maybe having to lie if some you're protecting someone's life. You know, I'm thinking right now in Afghanistan, like, sure. do we want to be a liar all the time? No. no. But if someone comes knocking on the door saying, are there any female journalists here? And we say, nope. Nope. <laughs> right. Might that serve in the moment? Yeah. So to me, shadow work is allowing us to have the whole spectrum of our humanity available to us, right? Mm -hmm. And being able to say, this might serve me one day, or this may have served me already. Mm -hmm. yeah. So are, are you finding that when dealing with shadow work, let's say you, you address this one issue and then other issues come up over time. So it's a constant work in progress. I feel like that's an ever unfolding <laughs> part of a of, of spiritual path. Yeah, yeah. It's, maybe it's not going to hurt as much and it won't go as deep and, it, and you'll have better tools to manage. But, you know, we're going to be activated. We're going to we're going to have things come up. I can attest to if if the stuff that happened last week in Afghanistan happened 20 years ago before I did the work. I would have just been collapsed in a in the fetal position mm -hmm. for eight days in my trauma, in their trauma, not eating, not sleeping, probably just crying. Like that yeah. would have been me at 22. Yeah. Um, what last week looked like because I have worked through my trauma, because I know how to self-regulate my nervous system, because I know how to set boundaries even with myself around mm -hmm. views, around how much I put my energy in places, is I pretty much would grieve kick some ass, rest, repeat, right? I but love that, that. But that's what is available. We have choice. Yes. And it's a spectrum. Like you can't forget those steps. You, it, you're going through a grieving time. You need to grieve. There's nothing wrong with it. It's part of the power of the strength of the process. Yeah. But I like, you said grieve. What was kick it? Ass. Kick ass. What do you mean by rest. kick ass? What like is kick ass? Take action. Take action. You know, fundraise post, vocalize, amplify, do all the things that my heart in its grief and its rage wants to do. Yes. And then rest and repeat. And that yes. can be a sustainable activism. And that's balanced. Yeah. To me, that is balanced. You're not over here on one game. side. Say again. It's also the maturity of the long game. Yes. Right? I think when you're 20, A, you can get away with a lot more of you know, not taking care of yourself, but also it's, it's a short-term burst versus like, okay, I'm, I'm needing to find a way to sustain and manage my energy for the long haul here. Mm -hmm. So yes. I serve. yeah, most definitely. Yeah. It, especially as you get older, you do need to, you know, take care of yourself. Um, mind, body, spirit, like you said, you don't bounce back like you do when you're 20. Um, but you do have hopefully more wisdom and more tools in your toolbox by then. <laughs> um, so let's talk a little bit about, um, if somebody is currently going through some trauma or wants to, you know, break through that transformation, what advice would you give somebody that's currently in that state? Well, the first step is personal responsibility. Yeah. Right. So while you have allies like me and other shadow coaches and trauma counselors and transformational coaches, yeah. you have to be able to pick up the phone and reach out. So it's not like no one's coming to save you. You're totally alone, but, but you've also got to take some personal responsibility in saying, I think I need help mm -hmm. and I'm going to find an ally. Mm -hmm. I'm going to find someone who can guide me down this path that they've already walked Yes, and shave years off the time it's going to take me and help guide me to that place that I want to be at. I mean, coaching is great because it's all about goals. What's yes. your goal? How do you want to feel at the end of this journey? Cool. Let's keep keeping our eye on that yes. metrics. Um, without personal responsibility, if someone's just home and isolated, there's no way, there's no way to know. Right. Right. And that, that is key. You don't, you don't want to isolate yourself um, because you're only going to be in your head and it might be a circus in there for a while. <laughs> you want to get out of that and go to a trusted friend, family, or expert. If you don't right. feel like your friends are going to understand you, you don't feel like your family understands you, there are resources. And so I like the personal responsibility. Nobody's coming to save you. So what's the first step that you can do to save yourself? 
yeah. you know, yeah. so choose an ally and, you know, make sure that that person feels right for you and, and where you're seeking to go and then trust the process, trust that there mm. is a way to that place you dream of mm -hmm. and it's going to take radical discipline. Mm -hmm. It's not a lot of people love. Um, and it's going to take finding your true North mm -hmm. so that you know who you are and what, what you're here for. I think the personal responsibility equals empowerment, the radical discipline equals freedom. Like mm -hmm. how disciplined my schedule mean is, mm -hmm. it seems like I live on European, you know, vacation sometimes because everything is in order in a way that lets me have more freedom mm -hmm. in life. Yes. So, and then finding your true North, it, it means looking at where you're strategic and where you're unhappy. Mm -hmm. right? And so it's tough stuff. It's not it is tough stuff. You know, a lot of people like, they may feel like, you know, it's not going to get better. Why try give up? And they stay in that hole. They stay in that mindset of a hole. And if you're there, you need to figure out a way to get out of it and stop paying attention to the lies that maybe are the stories that are telling in your head so that you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. And I think for a lot of people that are struggling with that in that give up area right now, you know, needs words of encouragement, even that positive self-talk that comes through you. Yeah. And just even just trusting the, the dreams that are inside of them, right? Just yes. they're yes. there, they're there for a reason. I think choosing an ally and then also making sure that you are, you're just being supported, right? Like we, we put so much, I don't know, I hear a lot of gravity put on self-care, mm -hmm. the manicures and the spa days and the things which are, are lovely. Yeah. But where we fail is the other half of that is community care, being cared for by the community. Yes. Sorry, We're not sorry. meant, no worries. We're not <laughs> meant to grieve alone. We're not meant to go through the cocoon alone. We're not meant to go through a dark night of the soul alone. Like, mm. so this idea that I've got to do it all through self-care, I feel is, is a bit of a fantasy. Like we need each other and lean on the resilience of others, lean on the belief of others in you. Yes. yes. I, mean, I, I certainly did. I had my doubts as I was going through my work and I had yes. coaches who were like, I have no doubt you can get to this, like keep going. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Very good. I mean, you're definitely living proof of that. And so you walk the walk and talk the talk, which I think is great. Um, so when you, how do you know that you've recovered from your trauma? What would be a telltale sign that like, okay, that's behind me. Yeah. You know, I, I think it's going to always be with you. I, I don't mean to poo poo the idea, but like your... Well, it makes an imprint on you and it's an imprint on your soul for sure. It's just, what are you going to do with that imprint, that scar, whatever that's on you? Yeah. I think the, the place I noticed my own healing and I'm hoping this resonates with people is I still have choice. When I was in a full trauma response about things, I had no choice, but to go into like paralysis and grief and collapse, right? The nervous system collapsing, mm -hmm. um, in trauma that's been healed, you're still gonna be impacted when really horrible stuff's happening and it might remind you of something from the past. But like I said last week, like I had a choice. It's like, okay, I gotta grieve, I gotta feel the feelings, I gotta be with that. I can still function and get some stuff done to help and mm -hmm. I'm gonna rest. Mm -hmm. So I think choice is a sign of healing. Mm. And you're not stuck with one way to do it anymore. Mm -hmm you have access to an agency into how you want to handle it. So yes. less reactive, more responsive. Less reactive, more responsive. Yes. And you start to feel obviously a little bit more happy. You're in that more of that thriving mode versus that surviving mode that we touched on at the beginning. You'll yes. know that shift within yourself because you're yeah. going to approach the world differently. You're going to approach how you see people differently. And it's just going to, it's going to radiate out of you because if somebody's in a trauma state, they're like, mm -hmm. or somebody is like, Hey, I feel great. You know, it, it it's a, something that comes out of you. Yeah. And I want to also hold that, like the power of those traumatic events and what we've made them mean about ourselves when we face them, the power diffuses, right? So where mm. 20 years ago, that would have just 
completely capsized me. Now I'm like, oh, there's that part of me again. Okay, I know how to soothe that part. I know how to take care of that part. Um, I'm not down for the count in the same way. Mm-hmm. So it might still come up. I don't want to, you know, provide a fantasy that you'll just be like coasting. Mm-hmm. But it won't have the same power to take over your nervous system. Mm. And that's where everything is happening in our bodies. Yes, yes. That's so, so key to face it. And if it means writing it down, that's one way to get some of your power back. Because now you're looking at it and now you have power over it, even if it's a small step, you know, such as writing it down. Yeah, because it is where we're sitting on our power, right? It's it's holding it in, is isolating, is kind of shame. Especially if you're in denial. (laughs) Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And whatever shame is tucked under there. And it's like to let it out into the light of day, to not let it be something only, you know, um, honestly, to be witnessed by someone else in, in grieving it, in, in the messiness of it and still be held yeah. for yeah. hugely repair. Yeah. yeah. There's, there's nothing you're whoever's going through this or hearing this, but there's nothing you're going through right now that somebody else hasn't gone through. Lots of people haven't gone through. It's just um, don't feel alone in your trauma or whatever your issue is because it's not unique, you know? Yeah. And it might feel profoundly painful and it might feel like it is going to swallow you whole, but it's really more like riding waves than it is something that's going to take you, you know, take you under. It's how do I ride this wave of emotions? Yes. How do I learn how to deal with something that feels really unbearable? I think people often are more afraid of feeling it than when they actually just feel it. Yes, could take its power back for sure. Um, as a transformational coach, what do you find is challenging with your clients being a transformational coach? Hmm. I've had pretty amazing clients, but I will say where it doesn't seem to work is if they're not fully committed to their path. So, you know, I often say you've got to be in enough pain to be sick of it. Yeah. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. I love Mm -hmm. exactly. And for some people, they want the change, but they don't want to change or they don't want to do the work. Exactly. And so that's where we lose personal responsibility. Yeah. Um, they're hoping their partner will behave differently. If they're external, hoping- it's all external. You got to fix it out in the world there versus exactly. got to go inside. They have to be willing to look at their side of the street, even if their partner's a total, you know, yeah, is 99%, let's say causing the problem. It's like, what's yeah. your, what's your role here? What's your 1%? Great question. Yeah. Yeah. You got it though. It, Blaming the externals is part of that victim language, right? It's out there if only they would change. And it's like, yes, you've only got your side of the street. So yes, what do we do? And you only have you to take care of at the end of the day. I mean, you, who do you, who do you look in the mirror to? It's yourself. And so that's so huge when people are stuck in, let's say a dysfunctional relationship and they are pointing the fingers to the other person when Maybe it is, like you said, 99% their fault. They are an awful human being, whatever it might be. But what's your role in it? Because right. you don't want to be a victim. There's no power in being a victim. Yeah, there isn't. And I think that's the stuckness a lot of people feel. Yeah. Right? Like you're stuck on this loop. And there's, there is like get off the hamster wheel and there's another way. Definitely, definitely. Um, so important, your work on helping people through transformation. I like that so much because I know people spend years in therapy. Uh, they spend tons of money paying a therapist and they go around the merry-go-round talking about the same old issues, same old issue. They're not getting anywhere. And um, if that's you, it's maybe time to look in the mirror and think, hey, I shouldn't be a keep giving my money to this therapist because I'm not going anywhere. So, but I like the idea of transformation because there is a goal that you've got to get to where, Hey, I want to get to a place where I don't have to pay you for therapy, where I don't have to keep coming and doing this. I need a solution to this. And so I love the work of a transformation coach. Thank you. Yeah. My, my hope with, with the clients I have is learn the tools, go out in the world and practice them. Mm-hmm. And maybe in a year or two or three, some, some other life changes coming up. 
I'm there to mentor, right? Definitely. But the idea of seeing everyone week, seeing someone weekly for seven years and just letting them talk about the story. Yeah. It's not the same as saying, well, you know, what are you making this mean about you? And let's change the story. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Definitely. So do you have anything else you'd like to add that's like pertinent to the topic of, I mean, either, you know, being an Afghanistan refugee or um, being a transformational coach? Yeah, I almost think I can tie them together, right? There's there's places that we are oppressed by our societies. Yep. There are places that we suppress ourselves from moving forward towards the life of our dreams. There are places where we've repressed our gifts and mm-hmm. we disowned really cool parts of us to fit in. So if any of that's happening, like allowing your true self to bubble up because I promise like life is just juicier when you mm-hmm. get to be you and you get to share, share your gifts. Yes, definitely. Very well, good. Out, I'm going to say come out of hiding. Come out of hiding. Love it. Love it. Um, so where can people find you? My website, it's rock and roll spiritual. It's both my, my love of music. And it's also my idea of being your own hero, rocking your one precious life, you know, really, really doing the work. So hopefully we can put that in the show notes, but rock and roll spiritual is one place to find me and I'm always open to having a discovery call with anyone, Mm -hmm. just letting them have some time to be witnessed. So if anyone's alone and suffering, Mm -hmm. you know what, like you have, you have an ally. Yes. Very good. Well, thank you for coming on my show today. It's been so helpful as well as inspirational and informational. And I appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure and a total delight to spend this time with you. Yes. And if you guys like this video, please make sure to give it a thumbs up and also leave a comment down below. If you have any feedback for me or for Esta, uh, we'd love to hear from you. And please don't forget to hit the subscribe button, and the bell to be alerted to when the next video drops. Thanks for watching. Bye. Bye.